seven letters written to seven churches, and I want to read the seventh, the letter to the church at Laodicea. It's Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you'd help me as I preach your word. Father, I pray that I'd preach it according to your will and accurate to the, to the word of God. Just pray that you'd help us learn something today that would make us more like Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Let's talk about this letter to the Laodicean church a minute. If you talk to different scholars, you'll get different interpretations on these seven letters to the seven churches. Uh, I personally believe that these seven letters represent the, the history of the church since the uh, time of the early church until the time right before the Lord returns. I believe that we're living in what I call the Laodicean church age. Now, I've heard interpretations that says, well, no, these were seven churches in Asia, and I believe that too. I believe there were seven churches in Asia that these letters were written to. And then I hear people say, well, there's different types of churches in every age of the church. I believe that too. I believe all the interpretations, but I believe that when you get closer to the return of the Christ, we're going to see things like we see in the, in the church at Laodicea. I believe this is where we're living at. Uh, I believe that we're living in a time that the church is very lukewarm. I've asked preachers about this letter and Uh, I've heard it said, well, the problem with the church today is that most of the people in the church are not really saved. Apparently, Dr. Billy Graham one time said that he felt like 85% of the people in church aren't really saved, so we robbed him of that, and we thought it sounded like, can I tell you something? There may be an unsaved person that comes to your building or wherever y'all meet as the church, but in the Lord's church, there's no unsaved people. 
The problem with the church isn't that there's unsaved people in it because no unsaved people are in the church. This letter is written to a church, to a group of saved people. Now, he opens it up, he says, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Now, we could argue, is that really an angel, or is it the messenger, is it the pastor? Uh, But let's go down to verse 22, where it says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. So whether whatever you want to argue about that messenger, that angel, this letter's for anyone that will hear. This letter's from the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The person that wrote this letter is the Lord Jesus himself. Of course, all scripture is inspired by God, but this this is these if you have a red letter Bible, these are words in red. Notice he says, I know thy works. This isn't a church that's not doing anything. He says, I know your works. If I had to guess, this is a church that probably has a big building, probably has lots of programs, probably has lots of people. Maybe not, but Jesus knows their works. And can I say something? Jesus knows our works today too. He says, I know your works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Now, we can, uh, uh, you know, there's different ideas on what it means to be cold or hot or lukewarm. Or Let's just use the Bible to interpret the Bible. I believe the, the reason they're lukewarm is because of the description they're in in verse 17. But Jesus says in verse 16, he says, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, this is Philippism, so you can take it with a grain of salt. I believe that means Jesus is saying, you make me sick. I'm sick to my stomach. I challenge you to read Isaiah chapter 1 on your own time when God is addressing the nation of Israel. He says, from the top of your head to the sole of your foot, you're sick. You're a people that's turned from me. You're stopped listening to me. He says, you keep coming every Sabbath. You keep coming every new moon and offering these sacrifices, and they're just making me sick. Just stop. If you're not going to live for me during the week, don't come worship me on the Sabbath. I believe the Lord Jesus is telling this church, you make me sick to my stomach. You're lukewarm and because, verse 17, because you say, I am rich and in, increased with goods and have need of nothing. This church, this group of Christians, believes they've got it all. Now, I've always, uh, since I started understanding the kingdom, I've, I've said, well, these are these Christians that believe, boy, I've got my salvation, I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card, I'm going to heaven, and I've got a mansion when I get there. And I believe that's, that's uh, 
probably part of what this is all about. I believe that we live in a day and time that the church is preaching, if you've got Jesus, you've got it all. You get the kingdom, you get to rule with them, you get everything. There's nothing else you need to do if, if you've been saved. That's, the end, that's it. Like our brother was saying this morning, they teach that when you get saved, you cross the finish line. No, when you get saved, you begin a race. But can I challenge us to, this afternoon? Can we be careful not to say, I understand the kingdom, I got it together. I know the kingdom truths, I've arrived. Because I, if that's our attitude, we're just as lay out of sin as the rest. This church, these Christians, they think they've got it all. They said, we're rich, increased with goods. Look at these buildings. Look at, look at the crowds we draw every Sunday. Look at the programs we have. Look at the, uh, the facilities. Look at, we've got it together. I tell you what, go to a mission field. I believe, uh, I, I think I heard Brother Carl say something. We were pulling up. I went to pick him up. I think it was you. <laughs> he said the biggest part of the church facilities in the United States is their parking lot. If you go to Barbados, if... They walk, you walk to church. Most people walk to church, or you have a van and go picks everybody up. Uh, that parking lot doesn't make you rich. The cars you drive doesn't make you rich. The buildings you have doesn't make you rich. And that's what the Lord's telling, them, telling us here. This group of people, they think they've got it together. They think they've got everything they need. But notice it says that they don't know, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They think they've got everything, but they don't even realize, they don't even know the real condition that they're in. Jesus says, you're wretched, you're miserable. You ever known someone that was just miserable? You ever met someone that was miserable and didn't know it? When someone's miserable, they fill their lives with, with things to try and fill a void that can't be filled outside of Jesus. It says they're poor. They may be rich in this world's wealth, but they have no treasure in heaven. Did Jesus not tell us to lay up treasure in heaven? They're blind. They can't see scriptures. They can't understand the scripture for the way the Lord wants us to understand it. And they're naked. This church, this group of people, thinks they're rich, thinks they have need of nothing, but in reality, they're poor. I want to challenge us today, just because we understand some truths that some other Christians don't understand doesn't make us rich. We're to lay up treasure in heaven. Now, understanding the Word of God and praying over the Word of God and studying the Word of God is a great start. And coming to these conferences and listening to the Word of God preached is a great start. But what are we going to do with it? Are we going to go home and start laying up treasure in heaven? Or are we poor and don't even know it?
they're blind. You know, I think sometimes when we get a little bit of, a, of knowledge, it does us more harm than good because we think that we've got it all figured out once we see something that someone else doesn't see. We should pray as we'll, we'll look down. We need to anoint our eyes with eyesight. Even as kingdom believers, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit of God would continue to open our eyes so that we can understand the Word of God. We think we've got it figured out that this church thought they did. You know, I was thinking and praying about this passage of Scripture. Who is this letter? Who is this Laodicean church letter written to? Can I tell you who I think it's written to? The people that think it's written to somebody else. They're poor, they're blind, they're naked. This church is a self-righteous church. They've put on their own garments. They've put on their own righteousness, which is nothing in the eyes of God. They're really naked. This church looks at other churches and say, boy, I'm glad we're not like them. This church... They really believe they've got it together. Judgmental church. They've put on their own clothes. They've put on their own righteousness, which, by the way, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags, and that's before and after salvation. We can't do anything to impress God. I'm convinced of that. It's only what God does through us that's righteous. This is a self-righteous church, just like the Pharisees in Jesus' time. They looked at others with, with judgment. Said, boy, we're so much better than them. We need to be careful how we look at others and, with judgment. Notice verse 18, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I counsel thee. This is counsel from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. So Jesus encourages, he counsels this church, this group of Christians. He says, you know what? You're poor. You don't realize it, but you are. Let me counsel you to buy of me, buy from me, gold tried in the fire. Now, this, this tells me something, that this isn't a free gift. If you have to purchase it, it's not a free gift. This isn't salvation. He says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. What is the gold tried in the fire? That's our works. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, talking about gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble? The gold, the silver, and precious stones makes it through the fire, but the wood, hay, and stubble doesn't. He says, to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Well, how do we, what's, what's the gold tried in the fire? I believe it's the five things we looked at yesterday. Evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, worship. 
It's the, it's the job that God's given each and one of us as his children to do while we're here on this earth. And by the way, the good works that we talk about to earn a position in the kingdom, did you know God has preordained the good works that he has for you to do? Ephesians 2, 9, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has for, before ordained that we should walk in them. God's already got the plan for our life mapped out. It's just, it's up to us to get in the plan that he has for us. Don't just go out and about trying to do good works, earning yourself a position in the kingdom. No, get in the will of God. You got to buy the gold from the Lord Jesus Christ. We got to do the works that he's called us to do. And he says, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. What's the white raiment? Well, we could flip over a few chapters and look at the, the, the bride's garment, the righteous acts of the saints. We could go back to the parable of the wedding feast and look at the wedding garment. This is a practical... When we trust Christ, we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. But we're to put on a practical righteousness. Now, let me say this. It's really not our righteousness. It's still the Lord's righteousness that we're to put on. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't a matter of of us making ourselves look good. It's about dying to ourselves and living out the Lord Jesus Christ. This church was very self-righteous. This church, uh, they had their own clothes on. They had their own righteousness on. One day, if you wear your own righteousness, when you stand before the Lord, you're going to be ashamed. We need to put on the Lord's righteousness. Those of us that understand the kingdom... There's no room for self-righteousness. If the kingdom has taught me anything, it's taught me how, much, how far I got to go. How much, how, how, how much I'm not like Jesus. I grew up in a very uh, self-righteous church, if you will. We were joking about earlier, no, no facial hair, suit and tie. You know, I mean, we, we looked to look and walked to walk and talked to talk. Very judgmental towards other churches that didn't dress just like us, didn't shave just like us. The ladies didn't wear their long dresses. Just, you know, we need to be careful how we judge other people in other churches. There's... Some churches down our way that likes to practice the art of shunning. You know what I'm talking about? You exercise church discipline and can't talk to that person anymore. They're, they've been excommunicated. Have you ever studied church discipline? You know, there's a right way to do it. You go one-on-one, then you carry a witness, then you go to the church. And if the absolute last resort, if he won't listen to the church, what does the Bible say? Let him be unto you as a heathen and a publican. What does that mean? 
if he's as a heathen and a publican, how did Jesus treat heathens and publicans? He loved them. The Pharisees ridiculed them and, and chastised them and for, for eating with heathens and publicans. If someone's out of the fellowship, we ought to love them that much more to restore them back in the fellowship. If someone's not walking with Jesus, we ought to love them, not judge them. This church was a self-righteous church. They put on their own uh, uh, clothes, but Jesus says, I counsel you uh, to buy for me white raiment that thou may, mayest be clothed, and that shame of your nakedness would not appear. When would that take place? At the judgment seat. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Holy Spirit, please open my eyes. May we never be so self-righteous that we think we have it all figured out. I tell you what, if the, the kingdom message has given me a freedom and a liberty to study the Word of God, and boy, I've gone in some direct, I've, I've studied the Word of God, and, and boy, the more you study, the more you realize, whoa. It just keeps getting deeper. And I've got questions today that I never dreamed like you could ask 10 years ago. But you just keep, and the, as long as you open your heart and your mind and allow the Holy Spirit, He'll keep opening up the Word of God to you. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. This church that Jesus is writing to, the Laodicean church, the church age I believe we're living in, Jesus loves that church. Remember the verse I read from Matthew 16 yesterday, upon this rock I will build my church. This church, this Laodicean church, this lukewarm, self-righteous church is Jesus' church, and Jesus loves this church. Can I ask you a question? This, do you love that church? Do our actions towards that church represent that we love the church? As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, and repent. Maybe this morning, maybe this, this evening, maybe today some of us need to repent. Maybe some of us need to change our minds about some things. Verse 20, I love this verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You ever seen this verse used as an evangelistic verse? Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Won't you let him in? Jesus, that's not, this isn't for a lost person. You know what the main problem is with this Laodicean church? Jesus isn't part of it. This church has kicked Jesus out. He's on the outside. But notice, he's knocking 
He's knocking at the door. And unlike the call to Israel when he says, repent ye for the kingdom of it was national repentance he was calling for when he came and preached in the Gospels. But notice the call, if any man. It's individual. It's personal. Jesus is standing, knocking at the door. If any man will hear his voice. Can you hear his voice today? Can you hear him knocking? A lot of people can't. But if you'll hear his voice and open the door, I will come into him. And here's what I want to share, pull out this afternoon. Jesus doesn't say, come out of the Laodicean church. He says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. I know it's frustrating if you're a kingdom believer and a kingdom seeker and you're trying to do right and trying to share the kingdom with other, other believers and you're going to a church that doesn't agree with you. It gets frustrating. gets hard. Don't quit. Just let Jesus in. Let me show you something else about this verse that I, I believe we've missed. You know what the answer is for this Laodicean church? Don't get me wrong. I'd love, love to see them see the word of the kingdom. But the answer is Jesus. This church needs Jesus. And until this church, until these believers let Jesus in and start letting Jesus control their lives and start fellowshipping with Jesus, the word of king, the kingdom is going to be pointless because they will not hear it. Your relationship with Jesus is of utmost importance, and that's what's going to change our churches. He says, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He'll fellowship with them. Now, let's go back to the gold and the white raiment. That's where the gold and the white raiment comes from. Your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our good works, our righteousness should just be an overflow of the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can go out and do all the good works we want to in the flesh, And we can make them look good. I tell you, I've seen some beautiful structures made out of wood. We can can build some beautiful things, but when when it stands the test of the fire, they'll be consumed. How's your relationship with Jesus? Because ultimately, that's what matters. And our works, the way we live our lives, Anything short of an overflow of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is just wood, hay, and stubble. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. There's the overcomer's promise. If you overcome, you let Jesus in. You buy the gold and the silver and the precious stones. You live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him that's one day going to pass through the, the uh, judgment fire, one day we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll make you a ruler 
over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. And listen, that, that promise should be something that's, that's ever placed before us. And, and, and as we run our race, knowing that there's a prize at the end. When Jesus was on the cross, you know what he looked to? The joy that was set before him. That's the millennial joy. And in the same way Jesus looked to that, we're to look unto Jesus to help us run our race. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This letter's for you and for me. We need to be careful that we don't, you know, we talk about, oh, well, most Christians want to put all the bad Scripture to and apply that to the lost. If we're not careful, those of us that understand kingdom truths will, will apply all the bad Scripture to those that don't understand kingdom truths. Let this letter in challenge our hearts. Now, with all that being said, I'd like to take you back to an Old Testament type. Turn with me back to the book of Exodus, chapter 35. I just finished teaching through the book of Exodus in our Sunday school class back back home, and I've studied through the book of Exodus several times, but I've never taught through the book of Exodus, and when you're teaching through a book, you, you tend to to study a little harder than you do when you're just studying through a book. And let me tell you, studying the book of Exodus, teaching through the book of Exodus, has probably been one of the greatest joys in my Christian study to date. I mean, it has been an incredible study. Moses has uh, delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've been to Mount Sinai. He's gone up. He's come down. He broke some tables. He's gone up. He's received instruction from the Lord on how to build this tabernacle, and I mean detailed to death. Every minute detail was covered in this tabernacle. And you all know that this tabernacle that they were to build on earth was a a replica of the true tabernacle in heaven. And uh, and you, you get to chapter 35, and they're about to begin the building of the tabernacle. I believe, and you want to argue that's fine, I believe this is a beautiful type of the work of the church today, the building of the tabernacle. Notice in chapter 35 and verse 1, Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded that you should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, A Sabbath of rest to the Lord, whosoever does work therein shall be put to death. And you shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath. So before anything else happens, he says, oh, by the way, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath. And he adds something in here. He says, don't even build a fire on the Sabbath. And I wondered, I mean, if if you study through Exodus, the Sabbath's brought up over and over again. But you wonder why. You think the Sabbath is important to God. But he throws the Sabbath in here before they start building the tabernacle. Well, one, in business school, I went to business college. I got, they, one, of the key, one of the key ingredients to success 
is to begin with the end in view. Begin with the goal in view. The Sabbath should be our goal. But two, the Sabbath, I know it points to the millennial rest, but I believe it also portrays the rest that we experience in Christ today. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. And what the Lord's telling the children of Israel here, before you get started, you need to spend some time with me. You need to rest in me. Draw your strength from me. Don't just get up and go out and do something. Spend time with me. Is that not what he's telling the Laodicean church? Open the door and let me in and let's fellowship. Everything we do in our Christian life should be an outpouring, an overflow of our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in verse 4, it says, Moses spoke to all the, children of, uh, all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take you from among you, you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of, of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. If God hadn't laid on your heart to do something, don't do it. Get back in your... Get back to your relationship. If God's not leading you into a ministry, into a work for Him, go back to your prayer chamber. Until the Lord lays something on your heart, if you just go out and do something, it's wood, hay, and stubble. I believe that. But He says, those that are of a willing heart, let Him bring an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, brass. If you go down to verse 21, it says, and they came... Everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whose his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering, the work of the tabernacle, the congregation, all the service for the holy garments. See, finally, some of these children of Israel were getting, getting it right. Some of them were resting in the Lord. Some of them were fellowshipping with God, and God was stirring their hearts. We don't need to just get busy for the Lord. We need to get our personal relationship with God right. We need to let Jesus into our hearts and lives and let him stir us up. If you go down to uh, verse 30, it says, Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called the name by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and manner of workmanship to devise curious works to work in gold and in silver and brass and in the cutting of stones to set them in carving of wood to make any manner of cunning work. And he's had, he has put in his heart that he may teach both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. Them has he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver, of the cunning workman, and of the embroiderer, the blue, the purple, the scarlet, the fine linen, and of the weaver, even of them that do any work, and of those that devise cunning work. When God gets ready to do a work, he's going to bring a leader. God called this man Bezaliel, and it says he filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. God's not going to call you to go out and do something by yourself. 
Sometimes I think we get, we get off track. I believe God's called us to get plugged into a church and do his work through the local church. And he's called leaders and gifted leaders to lead us in the work of the Lord. Notice those of you that are pastors, your ability to preach, your wisdom, your, your knowledge, your understanding in and of yourself, it came from God. Those of us that have been blessed to understand the word of the kingdom should be the most humble people, there, Christians there are, because it's not of ourselves. So in chapter 36, this, uh, then wrought Bezaliel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all the Lord had commanded. I mean, people for, were coming from all over the place. This work that they were about to do was, was a big work. And it took all types of people with all different types of gifts and abilities. I mean, it took people that knew how to take a hammer and chisel stones. It took ladies that knew how to embroider. All different types of gifts and abilities it took to do this work for the Lord. Is that not a picture of the church? The Bible says we're the body of Christ and each one of us a part of it. And he's gifted each and every one of us with different gifts and abilities. And when you come together, we do the work of the body together. And when it's done, it's a beautiful thing. But again, it isn't just a bunch of people doing something. It's resting and fellowshipping with the Lord and allowing the Lord to stir up your heart and then coming together to do what the Lord's called you to do. It says, Moses called Bezaliel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even every one whose heart stirred him up to come up into, to the work and to do it. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they had made. And they spake to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man or woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff that they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. If God's called you to a ministry, he's going to provide the way to, for you to do it. And if it's, if, if it's not being provided, maybe it's not something we're supposed to be doing. The people were stirred up in their hearts and in their minds and their spirits, and they were so excited about the work of the Lord that they had to tell them just to quit bringing it. So they brought everything together, and, and these people came together, and they started building, and they started uh, uh, doing the work of the tabernacle, and they, you come all the way over to chapter 39 and verse 32, and it says, Thus was all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. So it finally came to a point that they had finished the work that God had called them to do. One of these days, 
the work of the church will be here will be done here on earth. I I personally believe that God is sovereign, and when the last person that's meant to be saved, or however you want to, you know, I believe He's going to call the church out. Are we part of that work? Are we like the children of Israel that did all that the Moses commanded? Are we doing all that the Lord commanded while we're here on this earth? Because notice down in verse 42, it says, According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. When our work here on earth is done, our work's going to be brought before the Lord just like this tabernacle was brought before Moses. And in this instance, the Bible says that they'd done it as the Lord had commanded. Are we doing the work of the Lord as the Lord has commanded? Because then and only then, look what happens. And Moses blessed them. One of these days, our life, our work here in this life on this earth will be over. And our work will be brought before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll examine it. And if it was done according to the word of the Lord, it'll be blessed. It'll be blessed so greatly that the Bible says that I can't see and ear can't hear and the heart can't understand. It's only through the Spirit of God that we can begin to comprehend the things that God's prepared for those that love Him. But what if we get busy doing something that the Lord really hadn't commanded? It may look good, but it won't be blessed of them. Let me close. Let me ask you to turn to Luke chapter 24. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's been referenced several times already this week. These two disciples... If you begin in verse 13, it says that two of them went that same day. That same day was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. If you go back and study the context. Remember, some women went to the the tomb and found them not there. They came back and told the disciples, and it's just a confusing day for the life of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They truly thought he was the Messiah. They, They had a misunderstanding of who Jesus was. So they're walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem, which is about seven miles, a couple-hour walk. Jesus ends up walking with them, and man, I wish I could have been on that trip. I would have loved to have heard the sermon Jesus preached. I call call that, it says where he says, uh, beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them, all the scriptures, uh, scriptures, the things concerning himself. I call that the greatest sermon preached by the greatest preacher. Wish I could have heard it. It says, They drew nigh to the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, 
saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, they took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened. Jesus is knocking. Until we let him in, we'll continue to be wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked and not even know it. But when we let him in and sit down in fellowship with him, our eyes will be opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of our sight. And notice in verse 32 it says, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he taught with us by the way and while he opened us the scriptures? These guys were excited. Jesus had changed their life. I love discussing scripture. I love talking scripture. I love debating scripture. And in a Christian, in a brotherly iron sharpens iron. I don't like debating people that, you know, I mean, but I enjoy scripture. I just love the word of God. And I enjoy discussing the word of God with people and other Christians. But you know what else? I just love to talk about Jesus. And that's what the it did not our hearts burn with this. They weren't sitting there comparing notes, saying you're right and I'm wrong. They just, our hearts, they were different. They had had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus had changed their life. And no one had to go to him and say, look, you need to start being a witness. You need to start doing this, and you need to start doing that. Because they had encountered the Lord Jesus Christ in a real personal way, it says that they rose up immediately the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem. And I can just imagine that they ran back to Jerusalem. That several-hour trip took 30 minutes to get back. And it says, They returned uh, to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Jesus really is alive. He's alive in me and he's changed my life. And they told him the things that were done in the way and how he was made known to them in breaking bread. How's your relationship with Jesus? I fear that sometimes as the Lord allows us to understand more truth, we allow that to get in the way of our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I was part of a Bible study, a kingdom Bible study, several years back. And a young Christian, a young believer, showed up one night to this Bible study. And this boy was so excited about Jesus, he just couldn't stand it. And you ever met a young believer? He, had, he doesn't know the first bit of theological sense but boy, he was excited about Jesus, and he said something about Jesus being king. And two of the men that were part of our Bible study took him out and crucified him, whipped him up one side and down the other, trying to tell him how Jesus isn't king, he's priest, and he's coming back. It broke my heart. I understand Jesus is our priest, right? I understand But they were so caught up in the 
they couldn't just let a boy love on Jesus. And can I say this? I understand Jesus is the coming king, and he's our high priest. But none of y'all would say that I'm a king. There's one person in here that would say I'm the king of her heart. And it's that one person in this room that I consider the queen of my heart. If Jesus isn't the king of your life, you may not wind up being the queen of his. How's your relationship with Jesus? Do you love him? Do you spend time with him every day? Have you let him in? Have you let him change your life? He's standing there knocking. And if we'll just let him in, he will absolutely change your life. You'll never have to go out witnessing again. You'll just want to tell everybody about Jesus. And tell them that not only did he come and die for your sins, not only is he alive today making intercession for us at the right hand of God, but he's coming back one day. And he wants to offer you a position to rule and reign with him. See, to, to me... The greatest thing about the kingdom is the king. If it weren't for that, I don't know how great it'd be. Sure, I'm just going to be great. But the greatest thing about the kingdom is the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us enough that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you that today he's seated at your right hand making a way for us to come into your presence each and every day. And, Father, we look forward to the day that you send him back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And, Father, may each and every one of us keep our eyes fixed on him, the author and finisher of our faith. May we desire so greatly to hear, well done from your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we... Uh, examine our own hearts and our own lives daily. May we never become self-righteous. May we never be, come, come to a place where, where we can't grow in your Son. Help us, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.